Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, episode number 129. This interview is with David Meerman Scott. David is a world-renowned author, speaker, and strategist on the key topics of sales, marketing, and PR. His books include The New Rules of Marketing and PR, now in its fourth edition, Real-Time Marketing PR, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Newsjacking, and the new hit book, The New Rules of Sales and Service. He co-authored Marketing the Moon, which is now in pre-production as a feature-length film titled The Men Who Sold the Moon, and my favorite, Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. David is a must-follow guy if you don't already. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, welcome to the Minter Dialogue, and I have a special guest online today, piped in from sunny Boston, David Meerman Scott. So, David, you're the author of 10 books. I, I kind of feel like a soul spirit, and... And as I wrote to you once, uh, I wish to heck that I'd written at least one of the books you've written. <laughs> you're, on, you're, you're on the case. So let, let me ask you first, um, so you, about marketing the moon. Let, talk, talk us about marketing the moon. Sure. Because I think over in France, where I'm based, or in Europe in general, it doesn't have quite the same resonance. But I, I think it's a fantastic story. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it is awesome to finally speak. We uh, we do communicate uh, now and then through the various social channels. That's so um, thank you for doing this. My uh, um, yeah, that marketing the moon is um, partly a labor of love and partly um, a, um, uh, a a way of of talking about the ideas of content marketing, the idea of real time communications as being something that didn't just start yesterday. Um, the, the, I believe the Apollo Lunar Program, when we sent 12 people to the surface of the moon, was the, probably the biggest and most important marketing case study in human history. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, imagine that we, meaning the Americans, were able to convince ourselves to spend 4% of our national budget for an entire decade and 2% of our national workforce for an entire decade simply to get 12 people to the surface of the moon. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And the way that it came about was um, we effectively sold it. Um, we being people within NASA, we being members of Congress and, and so on, convinced the American people that this was a worthwhile endeavor to spend our national treasure on. And, um, and so I chronicle that, but there's a lot of fascinating uh, aspects of it that have never been told before. Um, the book is full color. It's images. It's uh, a lot of the images have never been seen before, which is really cool. It is. Um, we interviewed half of the men who walked on the surface of the moon for the book. We interviewed journalists who covered it at the time. We interviewed members of um, the NASA Public Affairs Department who covered it. We, mem we, we interviewed the public affairs officers from some of the contractor companies that worked on the program, like um, like Boeing, for example. Mm -hmm. And and it turns out that uh, many of the things that we do today were, were pioneered there. For example, real-time communications. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, the fact that we had live television on the surface, of, live color television right. on the surface of the moon 
using 1960s technology is almost as radical as putting people on there in the first place. Because, you know, just before then, cameras weighed 300 pounds. They're on those massive um, dollies. And we were able to say, okay, let's get a camera down to the size of a shoebox. And we did. Yeah. Uh, enabled to, to enable um, us to see it. Now, it was interesting that there were a, a lot of astronauts who did not want to have live television, and there was a lot of um, right. the technical people at NASA did not want to have live television. The astronauts didn't want to, um, them to, themselves to be recorded, and the technicians said it's too um, too risky, too much weight, too much weight to to carry. We we'd have to uh, to rearrange the spacecraft to be able to do that. But fortunately, some of the public affairs officers. And especially a couple of the astronauts, Gene Cernan and Tom Stafford in particular, really pushed for it. Um, And it reminds me a lot of today, where you've got executives who say no, 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 no to doing social media at work. Or they say no to communicating instantly in real time. And it it says to me that that if you're a communicator, you've got to just put yourself out there for what you know is right and convince your organization that it makes sense to communicate in real time. Right. There's, I mean, I can just imagine there's the flack of the legal team. There's the flack of the technology team. There's the flack of the PR team saying, you know, no, every reason why not to do it. Dave, one yeah. of the things I, I mean, I latch on to with you and you and, and the way you are, and then that's sort of moving it into the space of, of recommendation and consulting and making other companies work is that you bring yourself into your work. So mm-hmm. in, Thank you. This, this notion is you are you. And so we're talking about the moon. That's your personal passion. And then, but you, you, you get to merge it with your business side. Yeah. And isn't yeah that, as, do, as do you, my sense is. But um, it's, the, it's really one of the, the, the best things in the world is, is if you can figure out what are your passions and then how can you make your passions the way that you support your family and earn your income. And fortunately, I've been able to do that. And and it's because partly I've been able to understand what are my passions, but then also I've been able to figure out an angle to, you know, to make that right. part of the business. So the lunar, the lunar program is one. I have a collection of artifacts of things that have actually flown to the surface of the moon. Um, I've got some really cool stuff. For example, I have the rotational control handle that the astronauts from Apollo 12 used to control their command module. I, that's in my collection. Uh, and those things um, are, are important to me. I've met almost, uh, I've met most of the guys who walked on the surface of the moon, spent time with them, had dinner with them, had drinks with them. Amazing, fascinating people. And, um, and so I was able to turn that into a book. <laughs> so, so that's really cool. Another example of this weirdness of my trying to make passions into my work is I also wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. Oh, boy. Grateful Dead being um, a rock band I'm a, a fan of and have been since I was in, in high school, age 16. And um, they really pioneered a lot of social networking ideas. In particular, they allowed their fans to record their concerts, unlike any other band at right. the time. So I ended up writing a book about that. And, and these days, I just am a huge um, uh, passion, passionate fan of getting in front of an audience and delivering a live presentation. So um, I'm a real student of the skills required to deliver information in person from a stage and 
I just can't believe that people actually pay me to travel the world to speak. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know I'm, a, I'm a travel, I'm a travel geek. I love to travel. I yeah. love to go to interesting new places. And my gosh, people pay me money yeah. to put me on a to talk airplane, about the dead and to, to to put me on an airplane in the front of the airplane to send me somewhere really really cool and then write a check. Besides, that's like unbelievable. Yeah. So, well, I, so, I think I think that it's absolutely possible to live. Um, a life where you can earn money doing the things you love. All right, so I, I, I'm I'm a thousand percent with you on that, and I can certainly talk volumes and with you with you about the dead, and what, you know, as opposed to but the 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 challenge, especially in France, is going in and explaining who the Grateful Dead is because I mean no one yeah, yeah, no right. knows them. Using this material to try and convince brands CEOs to move along. So on the one hand, you know, it's sort of, well, we're doing it for us. That's one thing. Yeah. The message, the, the, the meta message for brands to get along is what's your moon or, and, and how are you going to be disruptive a la dead? Yeah. And, and, and so if, if we're talking to a CEO, that's some mercenary fellow who's been, or woman who's been brought in to run the business because they've done a great job before and they went to a great business school, but where yeah. are they connecting with themselves and how, how do we move on that level? Well, that, that's a really interesting um, concept. And one of the things that I've noticed that's been a real difficulty for um, executives is that many of them did go to business school. And that's great. I did not, but good for them for doing so. Um, and also many of them, because they've been able to rise to the level of, of CEO or, you know, president or, you know, managing director, whatever their title is, um, they've obviously had some success in their career. Now, what I've noticed, however, is that many of those people who have had great success in their career and continue to get promoted generally try to use the same playbook that they used uh, when they were rising up to the point where somebody decided that they were worthy of being a managing director. So successful or, that there, let me just yeah, copy-paste. Exactly. And the problem is that being successful with marketing and communications and, um, and, and how to sell products and services 10 years ago or 20 years ago is vastly different than it is today. And the, the difference is really simple. Today, buyers are in charge. Uh, and the reason that buyers are in charge is because we, when we buy products, we go to Google and we type in um, a search term to figure out, you know, what are people saying about this product? What are, what are um, the reviews on the independent site saying about this product? Who's the competitor of the company that I might be interested in? What, am I, what can I learn about this particular company based on, um, uh, on what's going on on all of these websites? And uh, what are the product specs and whatnot? And all of these things 10 years ago we couldn't do. You couldn't get independent reviews of products. You couldn't easily learn um, what the attributes of each product and service are. are. You, couldn't, um, you couldn't find the kinds of information that you can find today. You, can't, you couldn't connect with the CEO of the company through Twitter or LinkedIn sure. the way you can now. Uh, and so I see one of the biggest barriers right now to success is that Many, many of these CEOs, managing directors, you know, heads of companies or heads of divisions say, well, you know, I didn't need to do that and I'm incredibly successful, so why should I have to do it now? Um, they're living in a situation that was 
valid 10 years ago and isn't today. By the way, I see the same problem with venture capital firms. Mm. A lot of the, a lot of the companies that, that I'm um, familiar with or I'm asked to, to um, advise or work on uh, are venture capital funded firms, firms. And a lot of successful VCs were successful 10 or 15 years ago. And they're, a lot of them want to use the same playbook they used uh, when they were successful, and, and that just doesn't work very well. Well, isn't, isn't the linking point short-term financial performance? And that as soon as you are playing that book, well, then you, you just don't – you can't count out to long-term fidelity. Yeah, and... That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's a problem with um, – I'm not sure about France and other countries, but in, in certainly with the American stock market, that is a huge problem where – you know, it's uh, with publicly traded companies in particular, um, the quarterly results is what drives people. So, you know, people are driven to write deals that they might not write if they were um, judged more on long-term success rather than quarterly success. So where I was going to go with this, David, is that we we, we might be in, in, in face where the board comes in, the CEO says, oh, David, we need, to, we need to get with the program. We need to speed up our innovation cycle. We need to use digital marketing, be more effective to engage with the customers. And yet that person is the problem. I mean, in other words, the prescriptor yeah. is sort of thinking, how can I push? I'm the old-fashioned. Yeah. I've done my old playbook. Yeah. And they, but they don't have anything that they personally, passionately believe in themselves. They're right. a VC guy. They're out there to make the 18.4% annual return. Yeah. You know, and sure, but then there's no moon for them. Yeah, absolutely right. And many times there's no moon for them. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, and many times, sadly... The things that we talk about a lot, social networking, um, creating content to drive action, um, you know, being communicating with your marketplace in real time, those become check marks in a to-do list. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the to-do list. You know, I've got to, um, uh, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to hire a woman for the board of directors because right. we're all men so far. Mm -hmm. You know, you get all, all the stuff on the check marks. One of the check marks is, oh, I have to be, my company needs to be active in social network. We need a Twitter feed or whatever we do mm -hmm. in a week so we can mark that checkbox off the list. Mm -hmm. And check, the checkbox approach doesn't work. What works is you have to make it a part of your lifestyle. You have to find that passion, and then you have to translate that passion into a lifestyle change that says, you know what? Um, here is the way we're going to do this. I mean, one of my favorite examples of a company that's really successfully done this is uh, a company called HubSpot um, For sure. here in the States. And uh, they're based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, although they, they sell their products and services all over the world. And I'm on, I've been on the board of advisors of HubSpot since the beginning. Um, they started in 2006, and Brian Halligan, the CEO, is um, – the co-author with me of marketing lessons from the grateful dead mm -hmm. and brian huge grateful dead fan and brian said you know what i'm the ceo of this little tiny dinky startup back in 2006 we don't have any customers we don't have any employees and i'm gonna just run it with passion the way that jerry garcia would run it yeah. and in fact, the main conference room in, the, in his company is named the Garcia Room. <laughs> the Jam Jerry would, how would Jerry love that, right? The Garcia no Conference Room. So, I mean, some of the things that Brian does, for example, is 
um, there, um, there is no vacation policy. Um, the policy is if you need to take a vacation, you take it. There is no policy that says you can or cannot work from home or how many days you can do that. The policy is you have to get your job done. If you want to work from home, that's totally cool. Yeah. Um, you know, the policy is, um, um, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you want to have a beer at work, that's fine. If you want to bring your dog to the office, that's fine. I mean, all of these sort of interesting things. Um, there's, um, they, they have a game room, you know, there's all these sorts of things that are really interesting uh, around their culture. Um, and that culture, uh, uh, really transcends the business into the products and services and the way they treat their, their customers into the people who then do business with them such that, um, the last numbers they reported, I, they're now a publicly traded company. They went public on the New York stock market in October of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, their, their growth rate roughly, I don't know the exact number, I can't remember it off the top of my head, 50% per year they're growing. That's just, I mean, it's one company, it's one proof point. Mm-hmm. But that says to me that if you're focused on passion, you're focused on new ways of doing things, um, you're focused on, 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 on achieving something for your customers, not your stockholders, that the stockholders will be able to come along for yeah. the ride. <laughs> well, you know, the, I, you know, with the dead or or with Brian, presumably there's also a notion. You call it culture, but I think sort of above that, there's sort of like what mission are we on? And if yeah. everyone buys in on that, then the afterwards, when you bring it down into the organization, whether you allow beer, sleeping, or you know, working from home, is is all the same to be clear on the objectives because you can right. have beer, you can sleep, you know, come in and work four hours, fine. But as long as we're, we are achieving objectives, because there is still, yeah. I think, a, in a business, very strong, necessary need to have clear objectives. Oh, absolutely. That. Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. And that is, that is, that is essentially what drives it. And, and another interesting aspect there is that um, all of the objectives and every single person's objectives are on the, uh, are on the internal wiki uh, ah. at the company. Um, as are people's compensation. <laughs> so you know, there aren't any secrets in the company. It's very, very, very interesting from mm. that perspective. Um, but I, th- I think, um, again, it's just one point. It's just one data point. But I think other companies can take that model and, and use that as a way of achieving success. And uh, interestingly, they, they did a slide share called the HubSpot Culture Code. And um, they put that out um, sometime last year. And it turns out that that's got well over a million downloads um, because people want to see, um, hey, um, who are these guys? How do they achieve their success? And, um, um, you know, I, I want to do that, too. And so, wow, there's um, valuable content. There's a valuable stuff there. So, and, uh, David, I, I, the other, so you've just written your 10th book. One, um, sorry, 1,549,122 views of that document. Well, that I'm, I'm going to be sure to get uh, the 23rd view. Uh, as uh, ben, uh, again, what's so cool about that is they're living the passion of, 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 of how to create a great company, which is unlike what so many MBA-driven yeah. CEOs do. Or the ones that are backed by PEs or VCs that are just too much on the financial story as opposed to some other mission. So, um, I'm sorry, one, just one more, one more observation, just while I'm thinking of it. Um, 
I, I tuned in on the webcast to their very first earnings call, which was, uh, I think, about two months ago. Uh-huh. And the, the music that's being played <sighs> before people go on the earnings call is usually incredibly boring music. music that's yeah. the default that the webinar company has. Brian was playing Grateful Dead. Uh, morning Dew. And, um, the morning and one, of, one of the analysts um, who first asked a question said, uh, by the way, guys, great quarter and also great hold music. <laughs> so, you know, what other companies would play Grateful Dead while, while they're on hold for the very first earnings call? Um, yeah. So I'm sorry, I don't want to no, beat, it, beat it to death, but right. I think there's a lot of proof that doing it your way with passion um, has a role in today's business world. I, I so agree with that. I mean, my, my whole my light motif or the, my, the, my slogan underneath my brand is branding gets personal. And so I think that the CEOs need to do it. I wanted to get into your, your last book, which is the um, the new rules of sales and marketing. I can't remember. I didn't I get the sales answer. and service, the new rules of sales and service. So you you talk about the need to date the buyer, the buyer who's changed, who has different uh, exigencies, who has more power in the hands. And where I want to go with that is the um, and, I, and I, I certainly don't want to get my fingers clipped on this particular thought or the way I express it, which is. We need to be a little bit more feminine. Mm, yeah. How do you react to that? And where, where do you go with that story? Um, really, really interesting observation. I've never put it that way myself, but I completely and totally agree with you. Um, uh, sales used to be about testosterone. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like, let's grab the, the, the buyer by the throat and wrestle them to the ground. And even the language of sales, you know, you had targets and you had to go and, and kill them, you know, and nail the uh, nail the pitch. Nail it. And and you know, although there were very, very successful women in sales, it was a very male sort of language and male domination te- uh, testosterone fraternity type um, uh, way to sell. And that was in the world when people didn't have full information. That was in the world when if you wanted to buy a piece of enterprise software for your company or you wanted to buy a new car, you had to be at the mercy of the salesperson and the salesperson's job was to, to, to grab you and wrestle you to the ground and make you sign the contract. Um, today, because there's so much more information available on the web and because people can't hide, uh, companies can't hide anymore. And because anybody who, um, is, is reasonably intelligent will do their homework even just for a couple of hours before they walk into a car dealership or while they, before they pick up the phone with an enterprise software company, um, they are going to know sometimes even more information than, than the, um, than the salesperson will know. And therefore, I love your idea of the feminine approach, the, uh, the approach of, hey, um, let's, let's talk, sit down and talk about this. You know, um, we'd love to have you be a customer. Um, how, can, um, you know, how can we make this happen? Let me, let me share with you what we're about and see if it fits with you. And, and there are lots of companies that are doing this approach that totally understand that the buyers are in charge and it's a buying cycle now, not a selling cycle. Um, one of the things that I actually put into that book was 
how different would you sell if you were trying to date your buyer rather right. than trying to sell them something? And, and for a lot of people, that's eye-opening because the way that you sold something was you're aggressive. Right. Pushing your features and benefits. Pushing, pushing features and benefits. And also um, the ways that companies do lead generation. You know, they... Um, they force you to give up personal information before they give you something. You know, I'm not going to give you my white paper until you fill out this form. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you a demonstration of my product on the trade show floor until you give me your business card. Mm -hmm. That kind of approach. Imagine if you were trying to date someone and you walked up to them, uh, you found somebody attractive and you say, I want to take you out, but I'm not going to do that until you give me your business card first. Or then you, I might or you guarantee you're going to kiss me. <laughs> or you get right? Are you guaranteed? Right? Or 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 hey, um, I find you attractive. What's your email address? What's your telephone number? And how much money do you make? Right. So, uh, and, and that just doesn't work well. I mean, I guess if you're incredibly <laughs> hot, it might work in the dating market. Right. Um, well, there's uh, that, there's that American who uh, was banned from England because he sold the you know the quick you know the quick fix. So I don't want you. I don't know how we want to call that, but a very rude way of dating. So yeah. that still exists. So David. Well, it does, but yeah. it's not going to work very well for most people I know. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, anyway, that's sort of not where we want to go. But uh, going back to uh, this notion of the the new sales approach, and the other thing I wanted to just come cross over with is your your experience in Asia, and and so. So feminine leads me to listening, empathy, conversation, engagement, uh, you know, body language in there yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Then there's the, the that, when you know so well the Japanese story, but, you know, let's say most of Asia or, or you know, China, FaceTime. Yeah. And I worked, uh, I, I ran a brand called Redkin uh, for many years and I went to Japan four times a year. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, doing the tea ceremony and yeah, the, right. the meeting time and just didn't talk about, you know, oh, and so where's the check? That just was so far off the radar. It was all about, hey, so how's it going, son? You know, um, you know, Motohiro-san, you know, we just talk about it. And then oh, next time I can't wait to you know, bring exchange gifts. And, yeah. and it was on the 10th time we finally sort of got to business. And, of course, my CEO was like, wait, what's going on here? So what about the Asian flavor in that? Yeah, and then and – then and I've gone through those dances myself um, quite a few times. And then it's funny, the CEO on the on the 10th time says, you know, this has been going on for months. When are we going to see a contract? And then on the 11th time, you come back with a contract that's twice as big <laughs> as the CEO had hoped. And it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time that we have the ability to communicate with all these interesting virtual devices. I mean, we're doing this conversation right now where we can see one another. That's science fiction. Um, that adds a lot, but, um, but good old fashioned FaceTime is still incredibly important, um, especially for products or services that are um, expensive. Uh, you know, you just have to have that. Um, and, it almost becomes more important because there's so little that can, that needs mm -hmm. to happen now the way it used to. I mean, we, I used to remember even just a few years ago, I'd have 10 or 15 voicemails a day and I'd return, you know, half of those calls and I'd probably have five or 10 or even 15 con uh, phone conversations every single day. 
um, I'll go an entire week <laughs> without a typical phone conversation now uh, because it's all happening on email, because it's all happening on social networks, which means that when somebody does have that FaceTime, it's all that much more valuable. And, you know, every once in a while, picking up the phone and having that conversation is all that much more valuable in today's world. Um, and, um, and so I think, um, I think there's a lot there. I, also, I, I think when, you're onto something. So when you, when you do get the, finally the FaceTime, you know, cause it's, it's more intermittent, it brings in the need all even more to be patient because I can't just jump on you the first time I see, Oh, finally, David, oh, great to meet you. And so where's the contract? Yeah. No, actually, well, I mean, as much as a relationship online is still strong and building and, you know, tweeting together is still real. Then there's that, you know, the human moment. And, and, and I'm thinking specifically going in and trying to build a contract in, in China in particular or Japan you don't just jump on it right away still. So even if it's no, rare, you still, no. that's another kind of building of relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And you know, what I, what I found is that there's a lot of people who kind of do this transition, right? They're in the first couple of months or first couple of weeks, it's all electronic, you know, and it, it might be, I'm trying to set up the meeting. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And, you know, they're doing a, many, many people, many companies do a decent job of delivering content. You know, here's our white paper. Why don't you attend our webinar? Good stuff. Great stuff. Then they finally get the face-to-face -face meeting. And it's as if, it's as if they forgot what got them there <laughs> to that point in the first place, right, right, right? right? And now, now, for whatever reason, they believe it's only FaceTime. And, um. and so I think, I think that what's missing today is that once you meet somebody in person, you have even more of an opportunity to share interesting bits of content with them on, on yeah. you know, web-based web content. So you've finally met somebody um, perhaps in Japan or China or anywhere in the world. Um, you get to know a little bit about them. You know, in some countries you learn about their families. In other countries that's a little bit off limits right. in the beginning. But, um, you know, whatever the topic is, you can say, um, um, oh, geez, you know, I remember we were talking about music. Here's a really cool YouTube video you might like and send it through. It has nothing to do with business. Right. But it's a way of connecting. showing that connecting with that relationship, but using an electronic format. Sure. Um, and I, 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 that's something I'm exploring now is um, something that really interests me a lot personally is and I think I'm going to make it a chapter in an up, upcoming book I'm doing, is, is now that we've got so much electronic, if you finally meet somebody, what does that mean for electronic? It's fascinating to me. Mm, I love it. And I, and I think it means that, I think it means that the buying cycle, right, used to be all, the content used to be considered the top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to give a white paper, a webinar, eBooks, videos, all that junk to move people to the middle of the funnel where the salesperson takes over personal relationships, drives them to the point where they sign a contract. I think that middle of the funnel, there needs to be a lot more content, electronic content um, being delivered at that point in parallel to the in-person stuff. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of companies fall behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's looping it back. So, yeah. um, David, 
appreciate the time coming uh, coming on uh, from Boston here. I want to close. Um, you've written these ten books. I have. Uh, so my question was in this way: just to talk about it in a different way, which has been the book that's been the most translated? Ah, uh, um, my book, "The New Rules of Marketing and PR," originally came out in two thousand and seven, um, and I I am right now working on the fifth edition, and um, that's where I'm thinking about putting a chapter in about you I know see. how to. How do you integrate online and offline? And um, and so that book's now translated into 26 languages. Sweet. And so that's the one by far that's got the most translations. All right. Uh, and so the, market, the marketing lessons of the Grateful Dead, is that in any other languages? I'd love for some French people to know about that one. Uh, that is in Japanese. <laughs> oh, that's cool. The, the only other language. Um, and uh, Marketing the Moon at the moment is also in Japanese. That's another language it's in. Um, interestingly, I just happened to be on Amazon France and saw that Marketing the Moon is the number one public relations book in France for what that's worth. Double, double. <laughs> just a good. random, a random uh, quote uh, there. That's beautiful. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I think the only book I've got that's in French is um, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. All right. Well, listen, I'll put all those in the show notes. And I look forward to staying in touch, David. I, you know, if you're ever over in London, Paris, you, know, you got to look me up, all right? Absolutely. And same thing if you're um, over for U.S. Express. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter, at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas, hold me tightly Slowly we would paint a lover's portrait With all your favorite shades
with all your favorite shades and we paint it with our fingers to show the world the way we feel oh, all the way I feel Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 